0: Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, we ask the question that if the right beheaded an effigy of Kathleen Wynne or Andrea Horvath, would the reaction be the same as it was when Doug Ford was? And Saskatchewan has lost its court case on the carbon tax. The judge ruling that the federal government does have jurisdiction to do so. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson show on 900 CHML. This is fascinating. And, you know, everybody's giving me an answer, but nobody is answering my question. Uh, and that is, well, we, we saw what happened on, on, I think it was Monday. There was some sort of protest at Queens park There you know, often that happens. Um, uh, but this was against the Ford government and these people remind me a lot of the left leaning wackos that uh, beat up lock street. Remember they covered their faces like cowards and then just started punching in windows and stuff like that and throwing rocks and such, uh, and then ran away. Uh, anyway, same sort of thing here, uh, and they had an effigy of Doug Ford, and then they uh, they chopped off the head of Doug Ford. The effigy. So, you know, there you go. Uh, yeah, it's over the line. Uh, but that being said, no matter what part of the uh, political spectrum that you're on, just answer the question. What would the reaction be if someone brought a, Catholic, uh, brought a guillotine to Kathleen Wynne's Queens Park way back when and beheaded her effigy? What would the reaction be if someone did the same thing to an effigy of Andrea Horvath? There would be anarchy in the streets, similar to what we saw on Lock Street. Like, seriously, there would. Don't tell me there wouldn't. And, you know, I'm getting all these answers like, oh, it's a classic distraction from the... You're not answering the question. You know, getting this on Twitter as well. Listen to this: Was the NDP or the Liberal Party that created the effigy? Few communists showed up at the rally. Whoop-de-do! Answer the question: What of? What if it was Kathleen Wynne or Andrea Horbath that was beheaded? Again, I like all these conservatives trying to pretend they never treated they treated Kathleen Wynne with the utmost respect. That's not the question. Again, why can't the left just answer the question? If this was done on on the front lawn of the ledge and it was an effigy of Kathleen Wynne, there would be crying and horror through the streets. Same thing if it was Andrea Horvath. So don't start making all these excuses up about da-da-da-da-da. Whatever political stripe you're on, you've got to denounce this. And the NDP had at least two MPPs there. Commented afterwards outside the ledge, but not in the ledge. So again, this has nothing to do with political partisanship. It's wrong. It's crossed the line. And it seems there's a double standard here because when the right does it, they get shot on. When the left does it, everybody makes it. Oh, it's not as if they don't do it to us. It's like watching a kid fight in a sandbox. Just admit you're wrong. And move on because this is wrong and those that want to giggle whatever once you get past that imagine if they had done it to the past premier imagine if it was an Andrea Horvath effigy and they chopped the head off of that oh my goodness we'd be screaming from here to eternity uh, I'm thinking anyway maybe I'm wrong uh, towards the latter part of her, her, her term, nobody really liked Kathleen Wynn, so maybe, you know. Maybe, maybe they would, there wouldn't have been an uproar, but I'm guessing there would have. It would have been a great opportunity for the left to say, look how violent and terrible the alt-right is. Well, we all ignore the wacky alt-left. The same alt-left that beat up Lock Street with their faces covered like a bunch of cowards. Enough said. Let's bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman Suma Summa Strategies. He served as a National Party advisor to leaders and federal cabinet ministers who is with us now. Tim, how are you today?
1: God, I'm all right, trying to squeeze lunch in between your rants and talking to you, but I think I got it in there. Good rant.
0: I uh, thank you so much for joining us. Am I making too much of this? Is there a double standard here? Because for the longest time, everybody says the media is biased, is being part of the media. No, we're not. No. And now I can see it. Like This, to me, is wrong. And if we had done this to, or somebody from the right had done this, Uh, to an effigy of Kathleen Wynne or Andrea Horbath, it would be all over the media.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right on that. I I, I think people on the left sometimes think it's okay because they view political actors on the right or some political actors on the right with such uh, daggers in their eyes that whatever you do in terms of, delivering a message so burning somebody in effigy is okay because the person they're targeting uh, that uh, message to or about is just a dastardly character and you know that that always is a bit of a double standard um and uh, good for you and others for calling it out because it, uh, you're right if somebody on the right at a rally burned uh, a kathleen Wynne figure or an andrea horvath figure in effigy they should be called out too because it's Stupid on all sides. It's um, taking public discourse to an extreme.
0: Are you surprised uh, it hasn't been talked about more? Are you surprised opposition hasn't done more, uh, more to separate themselves from it and denounce it?
1: Um. No, sadly not. I mean, again, I think there's. it's okay for the left to be hypercritical, but God forbid if the right are. And again, I guess I look at it, I suppose people would say I'm coming from a conservative perspective on that, but uh, I I think that's pretty much truism. Um, The left is often a little slower to call its own out, uh, and they should, because that sort of stuff is is not right. It's almost a sanctimony-based approach to things, right? If we're speaking to it from a so-called progressive side, then uh, that that allows you latitude that somebody on the right or far right wouldn't be given. How so, does yeah, that,
0: why is that? How does that happen? What, you know, be, because the left view themselves as looking more after society, they can then abuse it. Yes. What, why is it, why is there a double standard here?
1: Well, I think that you kind of nailed it there. I think when you appropriate the term progressive, you suggest that your approach is the one that is most informed. It is the one that's most
0: considered. So because you think you're right, you have the right to be violent.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it's a whole issue of virtue signaling as well, too, right? It uh, It's about signaling a b- pattern of behavior or a a way of living that you believe to be right and you may be right but you dismiss others in the in the process of doing that and that's often where people also get frustrated with progressives and the left that's when when they run out of steam because it can look like uh you know it it, it, it is a is a is as i used earlier a sanctimonious approach
0: to things uh how does the public see this how does the public view this
1: yeah, I think the public sees it. I think the people who are, not you know, partisan, the daily partisans see it, and they get turned off by it. I, there's lots of research, you look at a debate like climate change, to say, you know, the broad public gets sick of the name-calling. You know, if you are against um, carbon pricing, uh, then you appropriate the term carbon tax, and you go hard, and you talk about how people don't understand it's a price on everything if you're for climate uh, remediation proposals and prices then uh, shame on the other side for not getting all that and there's a whole swath of people in the middle who get fed up with it all and say all right great we get the labels what are we going to do about this and how do we manage it? So that tends to be what happens in these debates.
0: But there were lots of people back in the end of Kathleen Wynne's uh, last term, there were lots of people that were upset with her. I mean, my goodness, they got obliterated. They didn't even uh, gain official party status. But it didn't get to this point.
1: No, um, but I think part of that is um, she tried to be – uh, at least create the image of being a, more of a conciliator where the, the current premier is happy to be more of a scrapper uh... Right. and i think you know the disposition you bring forward will elicit a certain response so I, I don't think doug ford will be all that upset he'll probably take it as a badge of honor that somebody was uh... was burning him an effigy and he will use that to motivate his own forces and say look look to the the, the the low places they will go to to try and take me down.
0: As you said, burning an effigy, uh, there's nothing new there. We've seen political discourse and demonstrations. Don't you
1: get burned every week in Hamilton anyway, Scott, when you (laughs) piss somebody off? Isn't that what happens? It's
0: usually when I get home. (laughs) Um uh this happens all the time in politics it's it 's nothing new there 's the balloon of Donald Trump in the diapers and the, as the baby and whatever. but once you start bringing a guillotine onto the you know into the set i mean I mean is that not taking it like one step too yeah far? well i mean you 're basically are you inciting uh, violence
1: yeah you 're saying violence is acceptable, right and gee, you only need look around the world these days to know it 's not that difficult to incite violence there 's lots of channels and tubes to to do that with, so you gotta be a bit responsible. and Then you bemoan the fact that there've been violent actions, but if you say it's okay in your own circumstances, well, shame on you, right? You're encouraging it.
0: So uh, what should the PC's reaction be? What should Ford's reaction be to this?
1: I think he's, you know, he'll probably, as I said, he'll probably take it in stride, and I think having some of the comments that we're having, having others perhaps come out and say, you know, this is not the way to go about things. Um, I don't think you want to show perception of too much weakness because he plays off that, uh, strongman caricature of his that, that many people like. But I, I think somebody in that government's got to call it out.
0: Uh, Will the left clean up its act? Will the NDP separate themselves from these sorts of people? It's like funny. It's like whenever there's a progressive conservative uh, or a conservative rally and someone in a yellow vest shows up, I mean, my God, everybody can't wait to focus in on that. But gee whiz, when a couple of wacko communists show up with a guillotine at an NDP leader uh, at an NDP type uh, or a left rally, shouldn't say it's an NDP rally at a left rally, then, then it's okay. They should call it
1: out too, right? I, I think what's good for the goose is good for the gander. To use an old uh, yep. old phrase, and uh, and uh, and and they should be called out if they don't call it out when they start criticizing uh, conservative leaders for, as you say, have intermingling accidentally or deliberately with ye- yellow vested or swastika wearing uh, individuals.
0: Uh, is this any different or worse than NDP supporters carrying signs that say "After the police."
1: I think it takes it to another level, right? I mean, I have a great uh, felicity with that F word myself, and probably shouldn't use it sometimes. But it's, it's it's a word; words matter, of course. But when you bring out a you know a guillotine, you're taking it a step further. It doesn't excuse the other one, but I think the gravity is is weightier with the guillotine. Uh,
0: what about an OPP investigation into this? Is this warranted?
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe, um, but but only if it's going to bring about some remedy, right? I, I think as we are doing and as I hope will happen in other places, people will, will call it out and say, hey, you know, I don't even know what point you were trying to make because you ruined the point you were trying to make because you went too far and went personally, offensively. Uh, after somebody and that took away any legitimacy of weight of argument you had about the policy you were fr- you were supposed to be protesting. So I think calling it out I think it's like anything else you got to call all these things out when they happen and and the people in those own groups need to do it too. You know, you remember that from some of the the big international meetings we had here when all the professional protesters would uh, you know the G20 the G you you guys had lots of rackets when the G20 was in Toronto around your way and uh you, you do you remember the key significant issues uh, of, of that uh, of that time? It's hard to. I think it was inequality, but, you know, it was hard to have a proper debate
0: about inequality when you basically had mini riots in the streets. Are you surprised we're not talking about this more?
1: No. I mean, it kind of becomes a fad thing. I, I think we accept the more exuberant and inappropriate forms of, of protest and just to assume they're a fact of life and uh, uh, and again maybe that's a bad thing uh, because that uh, does encourage people to behave badly
0: Would the media would this be getting more exposure if it was a Kathleen Wynne effigy if, or... I, I believe
1: so yeah I, look I, I believe if it we're a female political figure um, there would be more exposure um, certainly there's a double standard it, it can be around uh, protests where symbolism of around gender-based violence is focused more on males than it is on females. I think when it is focused on females, it gets more attention. Equal, you know, both are horrendous and both should be called out.
0: Uh, can't let you go without asking you your thoughts on the Prime Minister meeting Jason Kenney the other day and any outcome uh, outcome of it Wish I was in there. <laughs> yeah, Wouldn't you like to be a fly on that wall?
1: Hey, well, in fairness, they've known each other for a while, because uh, Jason Kenney was, of course, here as a federal MP, and the prime minister's been an MP since 2013, and that, you know, the prime minister was his critic at one point when he was immigration, and uh, Jason Kenney had some unflattering comments. So. You know, I think for the first meeting, it it probably at least the public optics of it went well enough. They both have to, at least in in word, uh, say they're committed to trying to find common purpose. Um, uh, I think, you know, Kenny is, is following the mold of Ford a little bit, getting out early on the key issues, which is important for his domestic political audience test is going to be over the next sort of month or, or so uh, as we head into June, what starts to happen with carbon pricing from an Alberta perspective, Bill C-69, which Kenny is fully opposed to, and uh, the pipeline. Uh, I can't see that there won't be conflict um, because there's benefit politically for each in conflict, uh, but is there are benefiting for Canadians in that uh, conflict going on, those two of those figures. You're going to have to figure that
0: out. Can we go into the next election uh, election with the pipeline stalled the way it is, or will there have to be some movement either way before we hit the the election? Uh,
1: I think we will go into the next election with the pipeline stalled the way it is, because the election is going to be called in early September. So I don't think we're going to have massive construction between now and then. Um, And I think, you know, there might be some gamesmanship on the prime. On each side, there's some benefit in the politics of a delay, uh, you know, the conservatives and, and the Premier Kenny and others can say, hey, look, they just can't get the job done. Justin Trudeau can say to some of his cohorts of support, look, I've slowed this thing down. It's an important um, uh, economic instrument, but I am also hearing you. So delay is probably more likely than development in the
0: short term what about the ongoing relationship with bc and alberta and considering now jason kenny is the premier of alberta should the premier of bc uh premier horgan done more to appease alberta and the ndp instead of basically uh, basically letting his uh his teammate walk the plank and now he's stuck with kenny in hindsight should maybe, he have done more to keep I've, her there yeah
1: but I mean, Jason has is, is amped up the, um, the red. Well, he actually dialed down the rhetoric since he's become premier, to be fair. Um, I think they're both playing games there. I think there's some benefit for Horgan to be playing a little tough with, with Kenny. Um, but I would mean, you I, rather have
0: Kenny as a neighbor or, or in Rachel Notley?
1: I think he just views whoever his neighbor is, and very Rachel Notley, maybe. But Rachel Notley, in the end, didn't she brought in that law that uh, that Jason Kenney proclaimed and made real? Mm So um, I guess Kenney's not uh, great for him. But you know, Alberta, whether they're NDP or Conservative in Alberta, that oil is essential. So I don't think. Uh, John Horgan would necessarily find a premier that would be really easy to deal with in the current circumstances, given how his electoral coalition is pulled together and the green influence that it has.
0: Any comments on the Saskatchewan court case? Carbon tax. Uh, uh,
1: I mean, I, I don't think the provinces are going to win, but I think uh, this is an, a strategy we've seen with greater vigor, right? Go to court, go to court, go to court. It keeps the issue front and center, serves as a lever to move, see if you can move uh, political purposes. Uh, I can't think of a resource debate in this country that hasn't involved a court element to it either.
0: Tim Powers has been with us, Vice Chairman SUMA Summa Strategies. Tim, as always, thanks so much for the time. Have a great weekend. You too, Scott. Bye. You're listening to the Scott Thompson show podcast on 900 CHML. This uh, news is breaking and just coming down and we've got a, uh, Uh, Tweet uh, here in uh, a tweet from Premier uh, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan. The fact remains that Trudeau carbon tax is bad environment policy and bad economic policy. Our fight against it will continue. That after the announcement that uh, the court has ruled that uh, the carbon tax is within the limits of the federal government and it is constitutional. Uh, Scott Moe uh, tweeting that uh, he still thinks it's bad environmental policy, bad economic policy, and uh, continues to fight it. So that's a tweet from Scott Moe, uh, as we find out that uh, uh, that the uh, court decision has ruled against Saskatchewan and for, and for the federal government, and that the carbon tax uh, is in fact... Uh, constitutional. We'll have more information coming up on that with the news at the bottom of the hour. All right, uh, let's move on. Uh, Let's bring in uh, Genevieve Tellier to talk more about all of this in regard to uh, this court case, how it affects, um, sorry, how it affects uh, uh, the election moving forward, how it it, uh, affects uh, Jason Kenney and Scott Moe and uh, of course, Premier Ford, who have uh, are talking about similar sort of court uh, cases. Let's bring in Genevieve Tellier, Professor, School of Political Studies, University of Ottawa, and she is with us now. Genevieve, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated.
2: Thank you, Scott.
0: I guess no surprises here that this court case has been rejected. Why bother going through all of this? What is your interpretation of it all?
2: I'm not surprised, uh, although I do understand why... Provinces would would want to check the validity of that tax uh, with the court. So I, I do expect that uh, Saskatchewan and other provinces like Ontario and Alberta fight uh, continue to fight that in, in front of the court. Uh, so they would go now to the Supreme Court. Uh, now I say that without having read the the, the, the ruling, so uh, I'm not sure what exactly are the details. But uh, for me, it was kind of clear from the beginning that uh, it was within the constitutional rights of the federal government because the federal government has unlimited taxing power. So uh, they, want, they can tax whatever they want. And so we're talking about the carbon tax. So for that, but yes, it's, it's, it's a topic that's going to be uh, talked about still in the news. And uh, yes, with uh, Jason Kenney also that has just said that they would, he would also fight the carbon tax. Uh, we will continue to hear about that.
0: How will this change Ontario's uh, approach moving forward, knowing that Saskatchewan has lost their bid?
2: Uh, that's interesting because uh, Ontario could still to decide to continue to go in front of the court. And so that would be interesting, especially if there's another judgment that is contradictory to the first, to the one we had today. Uh, so another element saying that we could go uh, until the Supreme Court. Uh, but for what I understand from Doug Ford, the, he's not the kind of uh, person that will stop now about that and he will continue its its fight and it's not really about the results it's about showing that he opposed that tax he opposed mm-hmm. the policy of justin trudeau and so we have to demonstrate that and so for me it's kind of obvious he will continue to fight uh, unless his uh, own uh advisor are saying well uh, there's no uh, there's no point of going and uh, to pursue that but uh, i'm not sure about that
0: uh, obviously, the Prime Minister's second campaign will be a little bit different than the first one mm-hmm. that he uh, waged. How will this court case and debate change election strategy?
2: That will help, I would say, because uh, he, for, for Justin Trudeau now, he could say, well, I have the support of the tribunal first. Secondly, uh, his environment policy is around the carbon tax. So if he was not able to use that, what would be the other, uh, what would be the alternative? What other policy he could ins- implement? So that would be more difficult for him to come up with and to articulate. So now it's clear he could use this carbon tax or let the provinces that want to do something else, uh, as we saw with uh, BC, for instance, or, or Quebec, uh, do otherwise. Uh, so it's much easier for for the Liberals to continue to push their their policy, their environment, environmental policy, uh, and, and, and to be coherent with what they want to, to do.
0: As you said, uh, uh, probably the outcome of this is irrelevant, depending on which side you ask. Uh, the fact that this case uh, appears to have been lost, does that change public perception of all of this?
2: Yes, maybe, because... Um, it wasn't sure. Yes. Uh, each time you could um, doubt about the validity of a policy, about how right a government is, is about pursuing a certain uh, a certain goal or using a certain mechanism, uh, then you have doubt in, in the mind of some. And so having the court come up and say, well, yes, this is right this is possible it could help some voters to think okay uh, the federal government is right on that and frankly um, I think the liberal government would is kind of pleased because at least they have one good news now because you know it has not been very good for them for the last month and so now that they have the tribunal saying well we are on your side uh, that may be a relief for the federal government and also for some voters It may make things a bit clearer in their mind about all the issues. It's a complex file there are many issues with that so that's one hurdle that we could say that's
0: aside. Well, the prime minister's position on uh on on moving the pipeline forward will, will we get any movement forward on the pipeline prior to the election or do you think he'll keep it on hold till after the election is that a good idea
2: uh, well, we were told, I think last week, we were told that the final decision will be announced in June. And a few days later, uh, we were told that that may not be the case. And so it seems that the federal government, the cabinet, is currently uncertain about what course of action to, to, to take. And we heard also that there are some debates within cabinet. I'm not sure if that's the case, but we have been hearing some rumors about that. And so I would guess there are some strong debates and there is a kind of a conflict here or a fight going on in the sense that Justin Trudeau wants at the same time to show that he can join both the economy and the protection of the environment together and then push the pipeline but at the same time uh, we could guess that the next federal election will be a lot on the environment front and so by showing that you've just buy a pipeline that could show bad for uh, in the view of many voters so I'm sh- pretty sure that the, that the liberals are not very uh, are uneasy about that they're still not sure about what course of action to do Normally in those situations, the best course of action to do is to take a decision right away. And so uh, take this decis- decision now and hope that people will forget until the next election. But it's an important file, so I'm not sure that people will forget that that much.
0: Genevieve Tellier has been with us, Professor, School of uh, Political Studies, University of Ottawa. Genevieve, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. You're
2: welcome.
0: Let's bring in Peter Graff, of course, political science professor at McMaster University. He is with us now. Peter, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. I guess no surprises for you uh, or for the rest of us in regard to the decision on this case. Where does this leave this debate?
3: Well, I mean, we still have uh, a case. Uh, Coming out of Ontario, that was heard uh, just recently. Uh, Manitoba's planning to bring a case forward. So, I mean, in the short term, it means that the carbon tax uh, stays. Uh, I think Trudeau goes ahead with his plans, and uh, no doubt Saskatchewan will appeal to the Supreme Court, which may wait to see what happens in the other two cases to see if really... There's a great degree of consensus or there's some disagreement about the powers of the federal government, which would, which would demand a further appeal and decision by the Supreme Court
0: to settle it. So the other cases in the other provinces could, be, could affect the Supreme Court decision, because my next question was going to be the fact that Saskatchewan didn't win in this bid. Does that change Ontario or Manitoba's position? Does that weaken theirs?
3: Uh, I suspect it does. I mean, I haven't uh, read the uh, the actual verdict. I mean, by the time Manitoba hears their case, uh, you know, the case law uh, from what was decided in this uh, case will be brought forward, no doubt, by uh, uh, the federal government in, in uh, their part of the case. So, uh, you know, these things have an impact, but uh, it's not unusual to see a situation where several provinces challenge the federal government separately, and then the Supreme Court has to find a way of sorting through the slightly different reasoning found in the different provincial judgments.
0: How does this change the Prime Minister's strategy going into the next election? Obviously, he met with Alberta Premier Jason Kenney yesterday. Uh, We've chatted on this show many times long before this happened or even, well, long before the SNC-Lavalin situation happened, Uh, what strategy the Prime Minister was going to take going into uh, the next election uh, over and above the SNC-Lavalin case and and, and what happened with that and and Jody Wilson-Raybould and such. Um, How much is... How much is are these cases and the blue wave that we seem to be seeing in parts of Canada, how does that change the Prime Minister's election, election strategy this time out?
3: Well, I mean, I think uh, winning this case is useful because uh, the Prime Minister can go forward and say, here's the plan, here's the checks you're getting back in the mail, uh, and he doesn't have to uh, defend it on the, on the basis of whether or not it's constitutional. Um, or that he's somehow doing them something that was improper for the federal government. So he gets to stand and, and or fall based on the case itself. Uh you know, and the provinces likewise, they can oppose it uh, and a number of them will because they will feel themselves closer to Andrew Sheer or they'd prefer to have an Andrew Sheer government than than the Trudeau one, but uh you know i think it, it means they have to play their cards a bit more on table rather than simply saying the federal government doesn't have the power to do this it actually have to say that this is a uh, bad policy so i mean i think it it does simplify it a bit going into the next election i mean the presence of uh you know conservative provincial premiers uh i think does make things a bit harder for trudeau uh when he puts forward ideas of what he wants to do if he's reelected many of those will rely on cooperation of the provinces and i think people will say wait a second uh... The, the provinces aren't buying in to a number of these other strategies that you're putting forward. Uh on the other hand to the extent that some of those provinces uh you know any government uh, that's in place has to make some unpopular choices and those unpopular choices are now more likely to reflect onto uh, Andrew Scheer than onto Justin Trudeau. And so for instance in Ontario if people are upset with what's happening at Queen's Park, uh they may have a more critical look at Andrew Scheer than they would have had had we still had Uh, a liberal government sitting there, and and, and it may be that uh, people would have judged the Conservatives federally a bit differently as a result.
0: Uh, Premier of Alberta Jason Kenney met with uh, the Prime Minister yesterday. Um, How much leverage does Jason Kenney have here?
3: Uh, Well, I mean, not really a great deal. There aren't that many seats that Trudeau thinks he's going to win in Alberta, and whether Kenney's on side or not on side, I don't think it will make much difference for his electoral prospects. Uh, is that
0: is that the way that Trudeau will view this? Is that you know we got bigger, we got more numbers, bigger numbers out here, so we don't care what you guys are thinking.
3: Uh, well, I don't think that he doesn't care what he's thinking, but he realizes what his political leverage is. I mean, I think Jason Kenney's in the more difficult situation because ultimately he wants a pipeline. Uh, he recognizes for the federal government to go ahead with the approvals, they aren't going to do that if he's ripping a shred off the the prime minister or strip off the prime minister every second day. Uh, or refusing to uh, act within the context of uh, uh, the the federal government's idea that there's a trade-off between, you know, pipeline and accepting carbon pricing. And we've seen uh, Jason Kenney decide to uh, fight with British Columbia since becoming the, the premier, but actually to begin to walk back some of his opposition to the carbon tax and beginning to say, well, maybe the federal tax is better than uh, uh, former premier Notley's made an Alberta plan. And so, you know, we're seeing a bit of movement around that. I think the other thing, of course, is that uh, Jason Kenney realizes that the current Canadian plan involves places like Ontario uh, cutting well below uh, the overall target to open up space where Alberta can continue to expand certain uh, emissions related to expanding the, the, the oil sands and that's in direct contradiction with what uh, Rob, uh, Doug Ford is saying as Premier of Ontario which is to say essentially Ontario has done its share and now it's up to the other provinces and so mm. again i think you know Kenny probably sees that he has some interest in in ensuring that the federal government goes forward with its plan because that means uh, you know Trudeau's fighting with Doug Ford uh, otherwise it's probably going to be you know Doug Ford versus uh, Jason Kenny in terms of Who's going to pay the price for uh, bringing Canada's emissions down? Is it going to be Ontario doing more than its share? Or is it Alberta going to have to do less development of the oil sands? And so I think there, too, it gets a bit more complex how Jason Kenney relates to, to Justin Trudeau.
0: Does the Prime Minister have to be more clear on building the pipeline prior to the, to the election, or can he leave it sort of in a holding pattern now over the election?
3: Well, I think, uh, you know, that will be a diff- difficult calculus for him uh, to figure out, uh, because ultimately he has more seats to lose in the lower mainland of British Columbia, uh, you know, around uh, around Vancouver, where people may be slightly more skeptical of the pipeline uh, than he has that he hoped to, to, to hold in places like Calgary. So, you know, from a purely uh, political calculus, uh, you know, if it was about a matter of timing it, he might have an interest to wait uh, into the new year. Except I think on a pan-Canadian basis, uh, the vision of his competence and stewardship of the uh, of the national economy is tied a bit more closely to getting the getting some sort of pipeline done. So I think it will be a difficult trade-off in terms of how much he would lose in terms of his national uh, image versus some more specific seats that are probably more tied in, in waiting a bit longer to announce any kind of approval.
0: How will voters react to this decision? Is this too deep in the weeds politically for Canadians to be aware of what... What the Saskatchewan is doing in court today?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately the court decision was not about whether the carbon tax is a good or bad thing, or it's the right way to go or not, and that I think is how most Canadians are approaching it. You know, mm. do they do they want to see uh, our response to the the challenge of climate change framed around the idea that we should tax carbon and uh, do it in this manner, where uh, you know we have the rebates and so you know, that very. Complicated Canadian scheme, which I guess most people don't get, but still they get a sense of whether that's the way forward. Um, you know, whether it's a federal government responsibility, whether under the Constitution the federal government can bring it in, is probably pretty secondary for to, to, to people's thoughts about it.
0: Uh, what do you think the election campaign is going to be like between now and then?
3: Well, uh, I don't have the crystal ball. Uh, I mean, I think we've seen since, uh, we've seen the dying down of the whole SNC lavalin thing. Things have been very quiet in uh, in, in federal politics. Uh, so I think uh, we really, going over the summer, are going to see on the one hand, I think people asking much more, well, what is Andrew Scheer and what does he stand for? Because he still isn't really a clear sense of what uh, the alternative uh, platform is going to be. And I think uh, similarly, the Liberals... Uh, didn't get much chance to roll out their budget because they were consumed with the SNC Lavalin uh, question. I think also they didn't want to put everything in the budget. They wanted to be able to announce a, a number of those things over the summer. So I think in the coming months we'll probably have, you know, maybe less confrontational politics between the parties and more uh, Canadians, you know, looking to see well what are they actually going to be rolling out for the next election.
0: All right, Professor of Political Science, Peter Grave has been with us from McMaster University. Peter, as always, thanks so much for the time. Have a great weekend. And you too. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. This week it was revealed that tobacco products in Canada as of February, I believe, must be sold in brown packages devoid of any logos or graphics or any of that sort of thing. To talk more about all of this, Les Hagan is with us of Action on Smoking and Health and is with us now. Les, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. Uh, what is uh, Action on Smoking and Health? Tell us about the organization. Well,
4: ASH is Western Canada's leading tobacco control organization. We've been around for about 40 years, headquartered in Edmonton, and uh, working in Alberta and beyond to reduce and prevent tobacco use in Canada.
0: So how will packages for tobacco change after, uh, I believe it's February when this all comes into effect? What What will be the difference between today and tomorrow?
4: Um, well there honestly there won't be a huge amount of difference because uh, in Canada we have health warnings that currently cover 75% of the package um, So the remaining part of the package however will be devoid of of any color other than drab brown and of any text or graphics other than the specified font at 14 uh, point in 14 point size.
0: So same pictures, same warning all of that sort of thing except any sort of Uh, Coloring or anything the company would have added to it is just replaced with brown packaging. Is that correct?
4: That is correct. Plus, there are also specifications on the package size itself. So uh, packages will be a uniform size, as will cigarettes. Slim cigarettes are being prohibited.
0: Slim packaging is
4: being prohibited.
0: So uh, will the sizes of the packages change at all?
4: Um, yeah, there is a there is a range of sizes that are stipulated in the uh, in the legislation. And then within the next two or three years, they will the packages will go back to the old slide and shell packaging. Um, and that is to give more more surface area uh, for a health warning and, and as well as an internal inside health warning.
0: Does this sort of a strategy work?
4: Yes, it does. I'm glad you asked. And in fact, Australia was the first country in the world to implement plain packaging a few years ago. And uh, there is published uh, evidence, uh, strong published evidence, showing that it indeed did have an impact in reducing tobacco consumption in Australia, particularly among young people.
0: Uh, worried that this will drive more to the contraband market?
4: Um, well, there are other drivers for, for with respect to contraband, and, and a lot of contraband is actually already sold in plain packages. So, no, uh, I don't think contraband, uh, that plain packaging is going to have much of a bearing. I, I think there are other factors, uh, uh, in, 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 you know, and, and most of those factors involve
0: enforcement uh, strategies. And response from the public and industry so far on this?
4: Well, uh, the public, uh, not much, really, and I wouldn't expect much because, you uh, that really, with, with the big health warnings, the changes aren't as dramatic as they have been elsewhere. Um, so, uh, you know, remains to be seen uh, what, the, what the reaction will be. Uh, it's definitely a step forward. It's a huge victory for public health, and we, we will take it. But I think the most significant package reform in the last 20 years in Canada has been the uh, huge, enormous uh, pictorial health warnings that were the first in the world.
0: Uh, Your thoughts, uh, this is a little off topic, but uh, I've heard some chatter of this. Your thoughts on cannabis retail sales. Is there a double standard? Now, I know, obviously, there's many that will say that cigarettes are far more harmful for you than what cannabis is. But your thoughts on the way it is being rolled out? Well, the packaging
4: standards on cannabis right now are stronger than they are on tobacco. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, include uh, tamper-proof features, child-proof features. So, uh, we don't anticipate child-proof features uh, on cigarette packaging in the near future, but I think it's something to explore down, down the road.
0: What sort of packaging is on uh, retail marijuana? Are there logos and things like that allowed at all? Col- uh, Colors yeah, or, are, uh, or anything like uh, that?
4: Logos and some brand elements are allowed, but uh, but the restrictions currently are, are it is more stringent than tobacco. Uh, tobacco packaging will be more stringent than cannabis with the new rules, with the exception of tamper-proof
0: packaging. So the tobacco industry really can't look to the cannabis industry and say that they're getting some sort of uh, break here?
4: Well, they might. Uh, they, they've they been known to say all kinds of things, but they won't be taken very seriously uh, if they
0: do. What What is involved in policing this sort of thing? How do you make sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing?
4: Well, it's easy because it's at the manufacturer's level. So, uh, you know, uh, we when it came to the health warning, new health warnings in cigarettes, uh, I remember, you know, we, we had similar concerns. What's the compliance going to be? But when it comes down to a handful of manufacturers, it's actually pretty easy to enforce package reforms.
0: How much of a difference do you think this is going to make? Any projections?
4: Well, you know, if, if it was if if it only reduces tobacco use by one or two percent, that's uh, several that that's at least several hundred premature deaths avoided every year. However, I, I suspect it's going to be higher than that based upon what we're seeing in Australia and elsewhere. And it, it's absolutely free of charge. This costs the public absolutely nothing, and uh, it, it and it and it's a very recoverable cost for the tobacco industry. It's not an enormous cost. You know, they could probably, if they, you know, it might cost a penny or two a pack for them to change up their packaging.
0: Where are Canadian smoking rates now? Are we making progress or uh, because they were declining for a while, what are they like now?
4: Yeah, we're definitely making progress. Our our smoking rates are the lowest ever on record. Uh, Having said that, uh, the federal government has set a very ambitious target of driving it down to 5% by the year 2035. It's currently at 17%. So it's going to take uh, meaningful measures like plain packaging, like higher taxes, uh, further restrictions on on marketing and promotion, uh, and really almost a restructuring of of the industry itself if we are truly to achieve uh, that goal of 5 by 35
0: How concerned are you with vaping in all of this? Very concerned.
4: And uh, because we're seeing an explosive rise in youth vaping, and uh, there, there's no good to be derived from getting thousands and thousands of kids addicted to nicotine. And once addicted to nicotine, it's not a very large step uh, to become dependent on tobacco products. So it's a huge concern, and it could be a huge setback, and we are urging all federal and provincial governments to move quickly to prevent uh, the reversal of all the gains that have been made over many decades in reducing and preventing tobacco use, particularly among youth.
0: Uh, you certainly have uh, made this less glamorous, less attractive, less fashionable, uh, that being smoking. Are you worried that the opposite is happening with vaping, that the, t- the kids are running to this, that they're jumping on board because they think it's less harmful? And I guess lots of people have been using this to get off cigarettes uh, initially. But are you worried that, that this is becoming more fashionable than, say, cigarettes are?
4: Oh, it, it is. There's no question. There are more kids vaping now than smoking. And it, and it has become very popular. And uh, the federal government last year passed new legislation to clamp down on the marketing of vaping products. Unfortunately, they did not align those restrictions with the current restrictions on tobacco. And because of that, we're seeing promotions in stores, on television, on Facebook, Instagram, print. Uh, it's, it's, it's omnipresent. And uh, we're urging the federal health minister and all of the provincial health ministers to move quickly and, and to pre- pre- prevent another generation of kids from becoming nicotine addicts and, and potentially tobacco users as well.
0: Les, if people want to it's,
4: find... It's a very serious situation,
0: Scott. Website we can go to to find out more, or less?
4: ash.ca
0: ash.ca to find out more. Les Hagen has been with his action on smoking and health. Les, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My
4: pleasure. Thank you.
0: It is 245. It's 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Ever been walking around this great city and thinking, wow, look at that building. I wonder what it looks like inside. Well, now you have an opportunity to twist the doorknob. More on that coming up moments from now.